This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Um, today, we're covering in the book of James, the next few verses, an issue that is difficult for me. In fact, uh, this morning, you're really going to just get to listen to me talking to me. And if it applies to you, that's awesome. I think it might, but I know it does for me. And to really launch that, I need to ask you a question, and the question is this. Have you ever waited well? How do you do when you have to wait for something? I have this unique gift, and you're going to be jealous when I tell you this. I'm bragging a little bit. I have a gift. If I go to the store I have this almost supernatural ability. The line I pick is going to be the slowest. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, the lane I get in when we're driving in traffic, it's going to be the slowest. Like, it's, it, is, it is tough. I don't wait very well. And maybe you're like that, whether it's Christmas or a birthday or vacation. You, you live from event to event. You, you can't wait. You try to live for those big moments. The problem is when we live in the distraction of thinking about the big moments, we forget to live in the other moments. And we spend our lives kind of looking for the next event, and all the days in between sort of blur together and don't matter. For almost or a little over three months, we've been walking through this book, James, written by the the half-brother of Jesus, and it's not very long. It would only take about five minutes to read the whole book, and yet we have spent weeks going verse by verse, gleaning everything we can from this powerfully rich book full of wisdom. And today... The Spirit of God through James is going to talk to us about how to wait and how to wait well. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient. I hate that word. I don't know if you wrestle with patience. I was asking Angie this morning because I wanted to be able to share with you. I said, hey, what do you think? Because we've been together over three decades. We started dating in high school, got married young. She's known me a long time. She knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. I said, "What, what do you think? Where do I struggle with patience the most? And instantly, without hesitating, she said, when you're breathing. (laughs) And she's so right. I am just not a patient individual. I like fast, faster, fastest. That is my speed. I don't want to wait on anything. And then right out of the gate, James, be patient. Then brothers and sisters. Again, family language. We talk about this every week. So often, he uses this term, brothers and sisters, James is writing to Christ followers that because of persecution have scattered. This letter in the New Testament is not to a particular church, like Ephesians is to the church at Ephesus. This is to Christ followers because they've been scattered because of persecution. It's to any Christ follower, every Christ follower. But being a Christ follower is not a part of, it doesn't mean we're part of a religious institution. It is not institutional. It is a movement that is relational. It is family. And so he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, Until the Lord's coming. And one of the times, and he'll talk about it in a moment, that it's incredibly difficult to be patient, is when you're suffering. If you're going through some challenging days, maybe there's some things you're dealing with mentally, emotionally, relationally. When we are suffering and we're hurting, 
and we've heard about God, or maybe you know God, and he's supposed to be a really big God, and he can handle anything. He had the power to create the world. He has the power to forgive our sin. The Bible tells us if you're a Christ follower, the Spirit of God lives inside you. So much power, so much potential, and yet he can't seem to fix this. Why am I still dealing with this? Why am I still walking through this? One of the challenges with suffering is we can focus entirely on the suffering. We don't like suffering. We want to avoid suffering. We try to look for ways around it. And if you can find that, man, go crazy. I applaud you. But more often than not, suffering is not something we can avoid. We have to go through and the perspective that James is going to share with us is, look, don't focus on the, on the suffering. It's there. It's real. We acknowledge that. But look through the suffering to what's on the other side. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valued crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. He's talking about how to be patient until we see God. Because it's hard to wait. Part of the reason it's hard to wait, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life. I've noticed in my life, God seems to have horrible timing. Have you noticed that? God's timing is often way off. Like, God, why am I still dealing with this? Why are we still struggling with this? Why is this still an issue? God seems to just not be as active as I want him to be in some areas. And there are often times that I feel like I can help God out and hurry things up and fix this or that. So many things God just needs to make happen so we can get on with it. What's the deal, God? I'm the one living through this, God, not you. Seriously, I, I think I know the best timing because I'm the one living through it. You need to deal with this. And James, I think, I think maybe with a smile on his face, in a very loving way, sort of said to us, says to us, hey, God doesn't care about your timing or your idea of it. You're going to have to wait. So here's how to wait. To the Christ follower who feels like life isn't fair. To those feeling that you may need to remind God that you are, in fact, on his side. So it shouldn't be like this. In a world where it's becoming more challenging to be a Christ follower, it's now more than just not popular. It brings ridicule and mocking at new levels because what you and I believe as Christ followers is hated by so many. And he's writing to us. It's fascinating. The Word of God is a living Word. It's a living, active, breathing Word. And the more I read it, the more it reads me. And God somehow, in a supernatural way, because He's God, is able to communicate something that was written a couple thousand years ago that is completely relevant to what we're living in today. He's writing to us He's writing to Orlando and Oviedo and Lake Nona and Winter Park and Bithlow and even Christmas. He's writing right to us. This is for us. And we find this comparison, not just here, but in many places in the Bible with agriculture, with farming. Why does he bring up farmers? What can we learn from farmers? What is it about farming that's going to help us in our waiting, especially if you're in a season of suffering while you're waiting? I think a couple of things come to mind. First of all, farmers... They know how to work, and they do it well. Farmers are not afraid of work. There's no ounce of lazy in farming. James is saying, here's how to be patient. Check out the farmers. 
the waiting doesn't mean coasting. The waiting involves working. James says, you want to live a great life. You want to make your life great. You and everyone in your household needs to be committed to this every single day. And it's one of the most helpful, life-giving principles found in all of Scripture. Parents, can, can we just talk for a second? Parents, if you're not a parent, like, check out, do something else. And kids, don't listen at all. Please don't listen, because I'm going to talk to your parents about something you don't need to know about yet. But parents, it's every day. It's consistency. The hardest thing about being a parent is consistency. I can prove it to you. A lot of parents, when their kids do something wrong, they don't want to get up out of the chair, so they do this. One. Two. Now, the problem is, Angie and I have four kids, and all of our kids have very different personalities. A couple of my kids, when they were little, would be like, let's see how you can count. Because they knew I didn't want to get up. (laughs) The hardest thing about parenting is consistency. But listen, it's every day. It's consistency. Think about the farmer. Rain or shine, cold or hot. No matter what the weather is, no matter whether you feel like it or not, stuff's got to get done. And if you don't do it, it's not happening and you lose the farm. It's consistency. It's every day. And he's saying, take an example from farmers. Faith is not a religion you practice an hour a week. Faith is not a place you attend once a week. This is who we are seven days a week. And yes, we go to church on the weekend because Scripture teaches that and we need that for our own spiritual growth, but that's not all there is to faith. This is every day because I need Jesus every day and I need to exercise my faith every day. And one of the things I'm seeing with parents is a whole lot of parents that in this extremely important area of life, have an attitude of, well, I'm I'm not going to push my kids. Like, I'm going to let them decide on their own. I'm not going to make my kids go to church. I'm not going to make my kids go to student ministry. I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them decide. There's a Greek word for that. It's el stupido. (laughs) It's not Greek at all. That kind of thinking is just flat stupid. It is literally the dumbest thing. I, when you say that as a parent, you don't convince me that you're right. You convince me you're stupid. Like, in real, I, like I love you, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. That is ridiculous because we don't do that anywhere else in life. Little Johnny gets up on Tuesday. I don't feel like going to school this week. Well, I don't want to push you. I don't want to make you. I, I don't feel like going to school this year. Okay, you stay at home, play video games. Okay, I don't want to push you. I don't feel like eating vegetables. All right, don't ever eat vegetables. It's fine. I, I don't feel like going to the doctor, even though I'm sick. Okay, whatever. I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like doing. No, we, we don't do that in any other area of life because we want our kids to achieve something. We want them to build something. We want them to do something. We, we push them. I thank God. For a father who valued church and understood the importance of building a life of faith. And so the household I grew up in, if if church had something going on, we were there. It was not optional. I didn't grow up in a home where we did timeout. They did knockout. Like, you you obeyed. This is my house. My, My dad had this weird thought that he was in charge. This is my house. This is how we live here. This is what we do here. And this is how it's going to be. When you move out, you can do whatever you want. But if you're in my house, this is how we function. And then every now and then, a parent will call us and say, I need help. And we want you to call us. We want to help. We want to do everything we can. But but for those of you that are not at the point of saying, please help. I got a 16-year-old that's out of control. I don't know what to do. I'd like to offer you something a little bit preventative if you'd start a lot earlier with some consistency. See, to my dad, nothing came before faith. Sports didn't come first. 
can drive your kids all over the freaking country, but you can't pop in three or four Sundays a month for an hour. Homework didn't come before church. Church was not used as a weapon or something I was punished with. Church was something, if it's open, you're there because it's both an expression of and helpful to my faith, which is the most important thing in life. But every now and then, a parent will call and say, help. And we'll do our best. We will do our best. But please hear me. We cannot overcome inconsistent parenting and incorrect priorities in a 30-minute conversation. It's impossible. And some of you, as parents, i got to be honest, some of you, you're, you're on the verge of blowing it. You don't want to. You don't mean to. But you are because I don't want to force my kid. I don't want to push my kid. But you push your kid and you encourage your kid in every other area. You will move mountains to make sure your kids have opportunities. The only problem is you're helping them achieve lesser opportunities and chase things that don't matter as much as their faith matters. I sit back and I look at the landscape of what's happening in life and I recognize that often it's parents that build the false idols in the lives of their children by teaching them to chase things above Jesus. Not bad things, but everything except Jesus when put in first place is unhelpful. And then parents say, I have no idea what happened. I didn't raise my kids like that. No, that's exactly how you raised them. It's exactly how you raised them. You raised them to view God as optional. You raised them, even though Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves, the assembling of yourselves together, that church is a big deal. In God's mind, church is the hope of the world, but you raised them that that's optional and other stuff comes first. So how is it not to be logically thought out that eventually when crisis hits or life gets hard, that, that God is not the first option to run to because there were other things that were first? God's just kind of an add-on that's supposed to do his part when I need him, but I don't really have to make him the priority in my life. I know you're only eight years old, and we hope you'll wait to drive until you're 16, but we don't want to damage your self-confidence, so if you decide to drive even though you're eight, we're not going to say no. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to force you to not drive. That, and you're thinking right now, that's ridiculous. That doesn't even apply because that, that's illegal. That's exactly my point. We put things that are legal and illegal above things that are spiritual and eternal. We chase things that are important, but not the most important. Think about Joshua, Old Testament. Here's what he says. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say as for me. He said, hey, if you live in my place, if I pay your bills, if I pay for your cell phone, if I pay, if I pay for your clothing, if I provide your food, if you live here, it's my way. And my household, here's what we're going to do. This is how we roll. I don't want to do that. I'm leaving. Cool. But don't take anything with you you didn't pay for. That means you're leaving naked. Like, as parents, listen, parents, just please freaking lead. Lead your kids. Yes, lead by example. But lead in what you say. Lead with consistency. Most of the things that kids deal with in life and the problems they have to overcome are gifted to them by inconsistent parents who put a lot of things over Jesus in their life. And it fleshes out, and your kids and my kids pay the price when we do that. I know what it is to make those mistakes. I've made them. I'm right there with you. I'm just saying as somebody who's learned, listen, 
None of us can go back in time. Even God understands that. And that's some really good news because it means God has the power to fix the junk that we can't go back and fix. But you got to start. you got to begin to live in, a, in an attitude of wisdom. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You only have a moment as a parent to leverage your influence, to show your kids and lead your kids in a way that they know what should be number one in their lives. Jesus and their faith. Lead. You live on your own. You decide. While you live with me, this is how we roll. This is how our family does life. And James says, look at the farmers. They work even though they're not seeing any results yet. They work hoping for results in the future, faith. Another thing we learn from farmers, farmers trust God moment by moment. You can't control the weather. You can't control the bugs. You can, you can do some things to mitigate things, but, but you ultimately, you can't control what happens. Notice verse 8. You too, be patient. There it is again. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near was written 2,000 years ago. But our God does not define time the way we do. When's the Lord coming? I have no idea. I just know we're closer than we've ever been. And when you look at the landscape of planet Earth, dear God, we're closer than we've ever been. Be patient. The word patient in this text literally means waiting full of trusting. It's not waiting simply because I'm helpless and can't do anything else. It's not kicking back in a recliner and just giving up. It's waiting that involves a level of trust. I'm waiting, but in that waiting, I'm, I'm full of trusting. And when the, the trust meter is lacking and it's not all the way there, I'm going to lean into trust as hard as I can. If a farmer plants an orchard and he walks up to the tree that's supposed to produce apples and he's frustrated that it's not producing apples yet, if he yells at that tree in anger, will it start producing apples? If he throws a tantrum, throws a little fit, can he manipulate the tree to start producing apples? If he tells the tree, I'm not going to worry about you anymore, I'm not going to have you in my life, forget you if you can't produce apples, is that tree going to start producing apples? No, the tree is going to produce apples when it's time for the tree to produce apples. And the same thing is true in your life and mine. The Bible references fruit that is in our lives that God is bringing to fruition, fruit that is supposed to be there, and God's timing for different things in your life and mine. And we have to trust our God and trust the process he has us in. And no amount of anger, fit-throwing, tantrums, or bolting on God is going to manipulate him for that fruit to come any faster than what he's already planned. It says stand and trust God. Don't bow down. Don't give up. Don't quit. Trust God. He's in control. The other thing we learn about farmers, farmers, they don't know how to give up. Once they stick their mind to something, they start plowing and then planting a field. They don't get halfway through and say, you know what, I was planting squash, but I think I want pumpkins. I'm going to rip it all up and start over. No. They finish what they started. They stick with it. They don't give up. They, they continue the process. Once a farmer starts, they're committed to see it all the way through to the harvest. If you want to live a life of faith, the life God created you to live, your, your best life. There have to be some things you won't give up on. What are those things in your life? Your faith. You don't give up on faith. Your marriage. Your kids. Your influence that you're building to help and reach other people. There are some things that you don't give up on when you live a life of faith. A farmer is firmly established in what he does, and he does not allow any other options. 
this is who I am, this is how I'm going to live, not because I've seen the harvest yet, but because I believe it's coming. And then in verse 9, he makes a turn. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What? What is he talking about? We're talking about farmers and how to be patient. And then what does that mean? Perhaps it means that the Spirit of God through James understands that it's something you and I deal with in life. The longer you stand firm, the longer you try to be patient, the longer you keep trusting, the longer you keep holding on to faith, the longer you're waiting for God's promises to be true, the longer that takes time, the more conflict there will be. There's something about waiting that just puts us in a bad mood. There's something about waiting that can cause irritability. And the internal conflict that we feel because we're having to wait, especially if we're in a season of suffering and it's not over yet, that internal conflict begins to create external conflict because I'm frustrated in life and I take it out on you. He says, don't grumble against one another. When it comes to fellow Christ followers, work stuff out. Don't let that impact your life in that way. And then verse 10, brothers and sisters. Don't don't miss, by the way, don't miss how relational this passage is. It's family. It's real. Our God is a relational God. So again, brothers and sisters, family. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, the people that James was writing to, the minute they read these words, had had a different level of understanding and context than most of us have. They were very familiar with the prophets back in that day. They they knew them well. And the moment they read these words, their their minds are filled with stories. More than stories, their minds are filled with history, the history full of the prophets. The prophet had a primary message, come back to God, come back to faith. That was the message of the prophet. But rarely did people listen. They spoke for God, but people ignored them. But they stayed faithful. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. They kept going. But even the prophets had moments of, what are we doing? This isn't, this isn't working. They didn't give up, but they thought about it. God, these people won't listen to me. They won't listen to you. They mock me. They ignore you. And you don't seem to care or do anything about it. Why am I still doing this? Have you ever had those moments in life where you think, why am I still holding on to faith? What's the point? I was meeting with a good friend at the Drunken Monkey coffee shop, coffee shop, Drunken Monkey coffee shop, and we were sitting there, and his wife had just been diagnosed with cancer, pretty severe cancer for the second time, and I saw the pain on his face, and he said something like, I don't know what the point is. Like, why pray? Because it kind of feels like it's just a roll of the dice and God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. Does, does any of this even matter? Have you ever been there? Why am I doing this? I'm, I'm not seeing any results. It doesn't seem to be working. I, I've been navigating this difficult season for way too long. Why why am I doing this? Why have faith? Why why bother? Cancer still kills. 
Tumors still grow. People are still hurting. Life's still unfair. Why bother with continuing? Why bother? Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. You get to choose your heart. Dating is hard. Being single is hard. You get to choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. You get to choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially, financially disciplined is hard. You get to choose your heart. Communication is often hard. Not communicating is hard. You get to choose your heart. Hey, friend, life, it's going to be hard either way. Life is hard. And it's all a choice in this life about how we're going to live. You're going to choose something that's hard. Either option is hard because it's all hard. Easy never built a significant life. Easy never caused a marriage to be successful. Easy never cultivated healthy relationships or healthy kids. You're going to choose something hard. There are going to be some hard days. So choose wisely and lean into faith because that's the hard that ultimately pays off every single time. We think faith means I'm going to be put on easy street. If I, if I just believe the right stuff, think the right stuff, trust God, life's just going to be super easy. That's not how it works. Faith is essential, and faith was created for our most difficult moments, not our greatest. I need faith the most in my weakness, not in my strength. Faith doesn't make your life easy. Faith does make your life meaningful and significant, even in suffering. In suffering, that's the place that faith can be the most powerful. And the very thing we need the most in suffering, faith, the thing we need in the most difficult moments, we drop because we think it isn't working. Verse 10, patience in the face of suffering. If faith made suffering end, you wouldn't have to be patient. We're in process. And we have to learn to trust the process of, of God as he's working in our lives and working out our lives. Patience in the face of suffering. And the only way, the only way you and I miss what God wants to do is to quit and abandon our faith in the process. The prophets knew how to walk with God when nobody else wanted to. They held on to the word of God simply because it was the word of God. They trusted what God said simply because God said it. They hadn't seen it come to pass yet. They knew how to wait on God, and they understood walking in the waiting because life is a journey. Today, we live for destinations. We live for the highlight real moments. We, we live from event to event. But we can be so, so focused on the distraction of big moments that we fail to live in every moment. Life is to be lived moment by moment, and we miss so much because we get frustrated so often. Patience. Work the waiting. And leave the rest to God. A God who loves you so much, he invites you to call him Father. And then verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered, maintained faithfulness, maintained consistency. The biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. If you want to be successful in any area, be consistent. Some of you, physically, you're not healthy because you're insanely consistent at being unhealthy. It's the what we bring consistency to that creates the results in our lives. And they knew how to be consistent, the prophets did, and maintained that. Verse 11, 
As you know, we count it as blessed, those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. So he starts with farmers. Then he moves to prophets in general. Then he's going to talk specifically about this guy, Job. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job is a guy in the Old Testament. The book is right next to Psalms. You might have thought it was Job, J-O-B. It's Job. Job's a guy who was at the top of life. His family was incredible, insanely wealthy, a man of integrity. He honored God. And what's unique about Job, apparently, according to Scripture, Satan approaches God in heaven when God is having a conversation with the angels. So apparently Satan has the ability to approach God in heaven and says, um, hey, I've been looking all over earth, kind of checking things out. And God says, have you thought about Job? And Satan says, he only worships you because you're so good to him. He only loves you for what you do for him. If you were to take all that away, he wouldn't worship you. Maybe Satan has that perspective because he knows Christians. If God does not perform as the God I think he should be, forget it. And God says, I don't understand this, but, but God says, okay, take anything away from him you want. Just don't kill him. And Job loses everything. He loses his livestock. He loses his wealth. All of his children are killed. He loses everything. He gets sores all over his body. He loses his health. And in the midst of all that, he's lost everything. And Mrs. Job comes in and says, hey, why why don't you just curse God and die? That's the woman you want right there beside you for life. He feels completely alone. And then three friends show up. And they try to dissect what it was that Job did wrong that caused all this calamity in his life. You will find, especially in your walking in seasons of suffering, there will be people who blame you for your own suffering. And sometimes it is a consequence of our poor choices, but not always. But there are always people around you more than willing to play the blame game and pin everything on you. Yes, take responsibility for your life, take responsibility for your choices, but don't listen to ignorant people who don't know the whole story. Job is entirely alone. But the Bible says, here's what's interesting. Dealing with all of that and overwhelming frustration, think about it. He lost everything. The Bible says he did not sin. You get all the way to Job chapter 30, where he has just put up with it and put up with it and put up with it and dealt with this long season of suffering that feels like it is unending. And the moment one bad thing happens, something else bad happens, something else bad happens. He's dealt with it. 30 chapters in, here's his prayer. And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. Not not a comfort, but strangling me out. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I'm reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place God appointed for all the living. And God said, print it. Put it in the Bible. Why? It doesn't make God look very good. Why? Because you've been there. You've prayed from the depth of your soul 
and heaven seemed silent. You stood to look toward God and it just feels like he's not even paying attention. No matter what you try to do, how good you try to be, how hard you try to change, how deeply you try to trust, aren't there moments where it feels like God must be against you? Like he has favorites and you're just not one of them. God said, print it. If you're in this room and you're walking through a season of suffering, God said, print it for you. What we're looking at this morning is just for you. It is a simple, small way where God simply whispers right into your life, I know. I'm aware. He said, print it because there will be days like this. He said, print it not because Job's feelings are accurate, but because they're real. And then God almost says, anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? And Job, Job drills down even harder, and he gives his resume of all that he's done and how he's leaned into faith and how he's kept trusting God. All I've tried to do is live for you, and this is what I get? And then you move into chapter 31. Here's Job again. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. I've made my case. Let the Almighty answer me. God, why won't you be big enough to stand up and show up and respond to me? Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him account of every step. I would present it to him as a ruler. God, I dare you. Show me where I'm wrong. Stand up like a man and prove me wrong. Do something. Say something. I'm ready. I've laid it all out and you seem so absent. And God said, print that too. Put that in the Bible too. But God, you, you're not looking good. I know. But you're going to have days of desperation and seasons of pain. And you're going to wonder about my goodness. I'm not worried about how I look to you. I'm just determined to love you. And I want you to know in the moments that you are even frustrated with me and angry with me, that it's not because there's something wrong with you or not because I don't love you. People that I used in profound ways felt the same thing. It's because you live in a broken world, not because there's something wrong with you. And don't mistake what you're walking through. Don't, don't ever let that cause you to think that I'm not fully aware and present and loving you. Years ago, I don't remember which kid it was. When you have a lot, you just kind of, kind of blurs. One of the kids couldn't sleep, so I went upstairs to the room, and they were wrestling and, and, and couldn't sleep, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to be right here. You go to sleep. The next morning, they got up, came downstairs, and they were angry. I woke up, and you weren't there. You didn't do what you said, and what I said to them was, listen, several times during the night, I came back and checked on you. Several times during the, and every time I came back, you were sleeping just fine. Just because you didn't know I was there didn't mean I wasn't there. Just because you didn't see me, just because in the moment you looked for me, you didn't see, doesn't mean I wasn't there. And by the way, the entire time, I'm in the same house. Nothing's getting to you. I got it. I'm from Texas. I've got an arsenal. You're fine. God loves us, but what Job's expressing, 
God, it does, this doesn't feel like love. Why don't you answer me? Why do I have to go through so many days of discouragement? This, this is love. It, it doesn't feel like love. Ashley was about two years old and had chronic ear infection. We kept having to take her to the doctor. And I remember one of the last appointments before it was resolved. They had me hold her down and hold her head so the doctor could use a tool and do a procedure on her ear. And it was very painful. And I'll ne- I remember this day. This was almost 30 years ago. I remember the look in her eyes, looking at me as her father, cry, bawling, crying her head off, screaming for it to stop. And the confused look of her eyes looking at me that I was not only allowing it, but I was holding her there. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. The problem was if I hadn't done that, it would have gotten much worse. And the problem for her was that she didn't know what I knew. If God is a loving father, and he is, He gave his only son out of his love for you and for me and allowed him to be murdered, a death he didn't deserve, a death I deserved, but he let his son take that. He's a loving father. If you're in a season where it feels like he is holding you down and you're locked in this position and it feels even more painful and you can't figure out why in the world a loving God would do that, you don't know what he knows. And you can trust him. No matter how painful it is, It's going to be a lot worse if you don't walk through this process. Often the most difficult moments I live through are someone else's difficult moments. As a pastor, I'm often invited into tragedy. I'm invited into the hopeless moments, the overwhelming pain. And most of the time in those moments, I don't have any words to make it all better. I just know that God thought what Job prayed was a good prayer, and he said, print it, so that you would know, and I would know, we're not alone. It's normal to feel that. God's saying, this is my son, Job. He's saying, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to be discouraged. It's not okay to allow that anger and discouragement to drive us to sin. But the Bible said that in all Job did, he did not sin. That sounded pretty rough. Sharing your heart with God is not sin. It's honesty. And God loves you so much, he can take it. He wants you to be real with him. Some of you, you you need to get the formality out of your life when it comes to God. Is he to be reverenced? Absolutely. Is he to be honored? Heck yes, he's God. Are we to be in awe of God? Of course, But you do remember in Scripture, he says, when you come to me, you can come to me with confidence. You can interrupt me in my throne room anytime. There's no business I'm doing that's more important than you are. I want you to approach me with confidence. And that confidence means I can be completely honest with God about everything I'm feeling. So the Holy Spirit through James is writing to these Christ followers who've been scattered because of persecution. He's writing to people that feel like it's hard to be a Christ follower and that those who don't love God are getting away with everything. He's writing to people who are questioning whether they can continue in their faith. He's pressing in. And James says, you need to just be patient. There'll be a harvest that'll make it all worth it. Think about the farmers, how hard they work, how daily they trust God, how they never give up. Think about about the prophets who measured obedience just by obedient. They were obedient 
just for the fact of being obedient, not because they saw any results yet. And even if it didn't seem like they were being effective or being blessed, they just held on to obedience. Think about Job. He's hurting and angry, and he brings it to God instead of holding it against God. And he kept going. And God understood Job more than Job understood Job, and God understands you and me more than we understand ourselves. He's saying, trust me, I'm on it. You're in a process. And one day you'll be so glad if you just hold on to faith, don't give up. Verse 12, above all, put this at the top of the list in all caps, bold, underlined, above all, my brothers and sisters, hey family, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. He's referring to something that happened in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying as you're waiting and being patient, as you're living through the suffering, Hold on to your faith and don't play games with your words. Don't try to manipulate circumstances with your words. And by the way, those words, the most powerful words you and I ever speak are not the ones that come out of our mouths or the ones that stay in our hearts and minds. The most powerful words you ever speak are the ones you say to yourself. There are a couple things I notice here. He's saying, first of all, don't lose your reputation or your integrity. Don't swear by things. Don't play games. Don't play word games. Don't play mind games. Just let yes be yes and no be no. In this season of suffering, it is what it is, but God is who he is. And as you look through the suffering to who God is and what he's going to do and everything he's offered and promised, and you hold on to that faith, continuing to trust him, you just let your yes be yes, your no be no. You be honest about where things are. And then the second thing, the last thing, don't quit before heaven. Don't quit before heaven. I love this church. I love you and could never thank you enough. The difference the difference you have made in my life and my family is far greater than anything I could ever do for you. But in the beginning of C3, It was a season of suffering. I walked into Longhorn Steakhouse for a meeting because where else do you want to have a meeting other than eating steak? So I walked in for this meeting and I sat down in a booth across from one of our board members, Dr. Claude, and I said, I quit. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I don't know what you do, but in what I do, I mean, I, I, can I just have a little pastor pity party for a moment, P3? In, in what I do, every decision is evaluated by people who think they know better. And you can't please everybody all the time. I quit trying a long time ago. I live for an audience of one, but I still feel the criticism. And over the years, somebody gets upset, they get pissed off about something, leave the church. Some of you will today, because I just said that, and I'm not perfect, so welcome to the ride. But... Some people get angry and they leave. And when they leave, they say a whole lot of crap, especially people that maybe used to work for me. It's funny, when you fire people, they don't love you anymore. And they go tell people all these things. And because of integrity, I can't walk up here and say, nope, that's not true. Let me tell you about them. Let me tell you what I know about their marriage. Let me tell you what I know. I can't do that. I have to just take it and trust God to defend me. And he's done a marvelous job of that over the years, better than I could have. 
We had 88 people sue me one time trying to stop the beginning of C3 Church. And our attorneys, I wouldn't even go say this. Why am I talking about this? Our attorneys were like, Don't, you, you can't keep your mouth shut. I'll never forget, I was driving down Lake Underhill Road one day when I got the call from our lead attorney, and he said, okay, you can swing back now. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And it was a glorious day, and they all shut up and went away in the way we swung back. And it was powerful, and it was beautiful, and I love those moments. But it takes a toll. It takes a toll. And one of the things I've learned is people will believe the negative about you far better and much faster than they'll ever believe the positive. I've had to become very okay with God, my bride and kids, and the people closest to me knowing my heart and my character. But it takes a toll, so I I said I quit. I can't take it. It's too much pain. Meanest people I've ever met, I've met in church. The price is too high. People are so hateful. They're El Stupido all the time. I was spent. And Dr. Claude looked at me. And right after I said all that, saying I quit, he said, no, you're not. That was almost 20 years ago. And over the last 20 years, there's been a lot of waiting. A lot of being patient. Portable 14 and a half freaking years. A lot of anger. A lot of pain and frustration. A lot of being misunderstood. And a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. <laughs> you, you think there are things I shouldn't say on Sunday? Live in my head. I quit every Monday. I blew it yesterday. There's a lot of waiting, but look around. Look at what God's doing. It's not lost on me what I would have missed if I'd walked away. Suffering was intense. Those seasons are dark and deeply painful. You want to hurry up and get past it, but sometimes you just can't. But was it worth it? Absolutely. God's timing. When is the tree going to produce apples? Come on. Fourteen and a half years of being portable, and we get a building coming out of COVID when we're freaking broke, and so is everybody else. When avocados are $100, I mean, like, we get a building now, now. But the way God provided all that and the way God handled all that, listen, you can trust his timing. He knows what he's doing. In a year and a half, adding a third service because of what God's doing. So if you're in that season, you're suffering, and you're thinking about turning your back and walking away, please don't, because I don't want you to miss what God has for you on the other side of the suffering. Allow the suffering. One of the things that's done in my life, I'm far more compassionate than I used to be. When you walk through deep pain, you begin to understand that Every single person you lock eyes with is deeply loved by God, and a lot of people are walking through very real pain. And it can make you become more compassionate. You can become more loving. You can pray more for people. Don't, don't, don't walk away. Don't give up. You keep trusting. You be like the farmer. The harvest isn't here yet, but it's coming. 
You be like the prophets. I'm going to be obedient, not because of the results I'm seeing, but because God said so. Be like Job. I'm going to be honest with you, God. This is brutal, and here's how I feel. But take it to him. Don't turn against him. You continue to live in that faith. Faith works in suffering like nothing else because you live moment by moment in your faith. Don't quit before heaven. There's too much you'll miss. So for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to love the Lord. We're going to share the Lord with as many people as possible. That's what we do in my house, and that's what we do in this house. And man, I want you with us in that, because I don't want you to miss what's on the other side. You're going to choose hard either way. The path is hard either way. So choose faith, because it pays off every single time. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you. For your deep, intensely personal, overwhelming love that's unconditional. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, nobody's looking around but me, and say, man, I'm, I'm in a season of suffering. Could I pray for you? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just slip your hand up and put it down right where you are? Just slip your hand up and put it down. Man, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm walking through some stuff right now. God bless you, many of you. Father, you saw every hand. You know every story. I pray in a way that only you can. You would provide your peace to these individuals in these circumstances. You would help them to know that even this morning is just a simple, small reminder from you that you're aware and that you love them. The timing of this message. And God, I pray that you would sustain them through this and that they would keep turning to you and be honest with you, but keep holding on to faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you know that the greatest need of your life is to have a personal relationship with God. You you can't have life-saving faith without a relationship with Jesus. The kind of faith we're talking about and seeing the other side and what God wants to do, it does not happen unless you know Jesus. And so maybe this morning, the step that you need to take is to pray a simple prayer and give your life to Jesus. Ask Him to forgive your sin, to give you a home in heaven after this life, to give you His Spirit to live inside you through the days you're walking through. If that's the step you'd like to take, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of this moment. The Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life, to be your Savior, to birth in you this kind of supernatural faith, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. Thank you for your love for me. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I say yes to you. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311, and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. 
And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.